Welcome to the Adult Child of Dysfunction podcast, where we untangle the past, rewrite the present, and reclaim our future. I am your host, Tammy Vincent, and together we will break free from old patterns, heal wounds, and create new narratives. Are you ready to transform the effects of your dysfunctional past into your superpowers? Are you excited to get back in touch with your true authentic self? If so, then hit subscribe and join me weekly on the Adult Child of Dysfunction podcast. Here we will learn from experts as well as experienced thrivers how to turn our trials into smiles while living our most authentic and joyful lives. Okay, well, hello again, and here we are for a third one today. And today we have with us Jessica, Jessica Kazanuski. Hello, Jessica, hello. how are you? Hi, Tammy, I'm good, how are you? I am doing great. So Jessica is a holistic empowerment coach, and she specializes in childhood trauma. And I'm pretty sure she has a story behind why she specializes in childhood trauma. So we're going to let her tell her story. Oh, all right. Very good. Uh, yes, of course, I have a reason. Um, I I lived it for uh, my entire life, My and then it transferred into my young adulthood. It started, my parents were, um, I was product of a teenage pregnancy. Um, they got married young. My mom is a full-blown narcissist who um, also has been diagnosed bipolar, um, although I'm sure Many of your listeners uh, can agree that as soon as she was diagnosed, that that shrink didn't know what he was talking about. And we moved on to another <laughs> another shrink. Um, my father is an alcoholic and uh, extremely emotionally immature. Um, they divorced and he uh, wound up getting uh, his mistress pregnant, which is why they divorced. Um, and I was bopped between both houses. I was physically abused, emotionally abused, spiritually abused um by both of them um and when i was 15 i had been living with my dad for what my stepmother had determined was a too long amount of time and to get rid of me she decided to convince my father that i was a danger to her and and the household and and i was admitted um which i fought out of the uh, institution with uh, the help of the mental advocacy in illinois um and when i was released it, I realized I was at the end of my rope and I needed to get out of, and I had to get my power back. So uh, I went on a journey and a friend of mine discovered that actors and actresses get custody of themselves uh, so they can work, you know, longer hours under the age of, of 18. And she's like, you got to try this. And so I called the state's attorney. I called uh, multiple attorneys and I found one who finally took my case uh, pro bono. And she was my angel at the time. And, uh, served both my parents. And when I got to court, I was 16 years old and the judge, neither one of them showed up. So the judge said, you know, everything you've said, you know, in my written statement, he goes, I believe because neither parent was there, uh, even though they were served. So, um, I went on my healing journey after that. I was on my own renting an apartment. You know, I had, I had a mattress on the floor and like, you know, uh, garage sale pots and pans and whatever I could, you know, scrimp together and, um, got uh, married very young and to a narcissist and an alcoholic. He was a combo package. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. you put that. I, well, he, you know, I figured why not? Um, and that's when I, as I started healing though, I started realizing that, you know, we repeat those patterns. And so I subconsciously drew my parents back to me because I hadn't healed those relationships. Um, we're now divorced. Um, I, I had 
gotten a degree in psychology. I've become trauma informed certified. Um, and I have done everything from the somatic healing to, um, astrology work to, you know, obviously Bible work. And I mean, you name it, I have done it. And it, uh, so I know what works and what doesn't. Um, and I'm happily married, uh, and coaching and, and realizing that that was my life's purpose had, having gone through all that pain. So. Okay. I'm still trying to wrap my head around the fact that your dad and your stepmother had you thrown in a mental institution. Yeah. It, yeah. It, I came home from school one day and apparently she had been working on him behind the scenes for um, probably a couple of weeks at that point in time. And he literally told me, we're going to go for a ride. Like, you know, you tell your dog when you're taking him to the, <laughs> we went and like, I sensed that something was wrong as like, I didn't know where we were going. And we pulled into this building and it was, and he brought me in there. He said, we're just going to talk. And I didn't leave. And I was in the room with a girl who cut herself and I was so afraid she was going to cut me. You know what I mean? So I didn't sleep. Um, I was sticking pills under my tongue that they wanted me to take and spitting them out in the toilet. I mean, I was full blown uh, movie like mode, like seriously, they could have made a movie out of that week. Um, it was, but every, every person that I encountered knew I wasn't supposed to be there. But my dad had uh, really good insurance. He had PPO and he had a doctor that didn't give a crap and said, okay, we'll put her in, you know, and get her out of your hair kind of thing. And, but I fought because they, they, they perform, I don't know if you know this, but they perform, uh, they're required to perform certain tests on you, like neurological and psychological. And I passed with flying colors on all of them. So when the advocate said, I need proof, they couldn't provide it. And they dragged their feet for as long as humanly possible. I was in there almost a week and it was the longest week of my life. And he had also gotten um, emergency custody from my mother behind her back and she didn't know. So he had the legality to put me in there. This was all done. Yeah. To, uh, so I was in, you in a mental institution with every intention of when you got out, he was going to take care of you. I really don't know if he thought that far. <laughs> I really knowing him the way I do, I don't think he thought that far. I think he just thought in the now because he's so he's so emotionally immature. He really is. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I went through I didn't go through a similar I'm not going to try to say I went through a similar situation, but my father had gotten remarried and um, the stepmother, you know, whatever reason I was and I wasn't being a good kid at that time. I was definitely a little out of control and I probably I look back now and say I probably deserved it, but they actually sent me to go live with my mother, who was the abusive, narcissistic, crazy, off her rocker, just not the person I needed to be with. So whatever reason they thought that that was a great idea, I don't know, um, because it was literally the worst six months of my entire life. So, but, you know, you wonder. And then I remember I had lost like 20 pounds. I was like 85 pounds when I came home and I yeah. finally hit a wall and said, I can't do this anymore. Packed my suitcase. I came back to my dad and I was like, okay, either take me or leave me, you know, whatever, but I'm not going to do that. You know? So that's, I guess the point at which you were at, because you were like, I'm not doing that. I'm not going back to him. Yeah. Oh no, no way. Mm -mm. <laughs> no, I couldn't. I mean, I was still in my thirties. And he came to tell me my great grandmother had died and he was in his car and I wouldn't close the door to his car. I was sitting on the path, like, cause I was afraid mm -hmm. I was, you know, and if you would have asked me going out to the car, 
were you afraid? I would have said, of course not. I'm a grown woman. I can. But when I got in, it, it was visceral and I was terrified that he was going to kidnap me again because that's what I felt like, you know, it, mm-hmm. so I, I get it. You hit a point where you're just like, and people who don't have narcissistic parents, they don't understand. It's really Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Like you don't know who it is from date or what's going to set them off. Like no, you, yeah, you, you're just yeah. walking on eggshells. I think we had this conversation the other day where I, you know, sitting there laughing and joking with my brother and his friends and everything. And the next thing you know, my mom's boiling, pouring a, you know, a pot of boiling water down my brother's back for zero reason. You know, it's just, it's just crazy, you know, it's, and you're just, I don't understand, but yet then some, the next morning it could be, Hey, sweetie, how you doing? You're like, what? Uh, yeah. And you start to feel like you're the crazy one, mm-hmm. which I guess is their goal. But yeah, that you you start to question your sanity. You're like, am I am I the crazy one? Because you're right. They act the next morning like, what are you talking about? Nothing happened. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and especially as a young ch- child, so having the al- alcoholic parents, you said both of them were, or just your no, just my dad, just yeah. your dad was. Mm-hmm. Do you ever like? Do you remember any memories of that like blackout? where he did something or said something and then denied it in the morning? Well, uh, he was in a wake blackout, which um, was something that I inherited, which I did not know until I was in my 20s and was drinking a little heavy. Um, He would have full-blown conversations, events, be driving with me in the passenger seat. No recollection that I say, thinking I made it all up. Um, And I experienced it twice in my entire life personally and that's when i was like i'm done (laughs) i'm never yet because it's scary when you're told a whole evening goes by and you have no recollection and you were having full conversations with someone you're like no i i you know that was the red flag for me but apparently he's an awake blackout person so he would he talked to you like nothing next morning i i never met you that's what he would say and both, both are true. <laughs> you know, I don't know how else to put that. Yeah. Yeah. But both, both are true. He wasn't lying. <laughs> no, that's the truth. Yeah, yeah. Because I have memories like even, and I remember very, really, really young, just, you know, being five or six. And that was when my mom started that. I hate you. I wish you were never born. And oh, yeah. I remember I, you know, I didn't have a lot of boundaries. I didn't have a lot of rules, but we didn't lie. Or at least we were told we didn't lie. So I would be like, why do you, you know, I'd say to my dad, why do you, why does she say that? Why does she, why would she say that to me? And then deny it. Mm-hmm. And it was so hard. I, it, I wasn't really about third. I was probably 13 or 14 when I really understood the concept that she didn't know. Like she did, she truly, she wasn't lying to me. My dad was like, she's not lying. She just drank too much and she doesn't remember Mm-hmm. I'm like, that's a weird concept for me as a, as a young child. Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know how you can have a conversation and not know you said something. And I'm like, well, don't say that again, you know, but you're little and you're confused. And, you know, I, I feel like, and especially like in your situation, I, I mean, the uncertainty and the, the walking on eggshells had to have been just horrific. It, oh, it is. It is. And, and you don't feel the, the whole reason that we, we don't feel safe as we become adults and it's because there was no one in charge when we were kids. We were in charge, you know, but not really because you couldn't make the actual decisions, but yet no one else was taking care of you. You know what I mean? Like it, it was a, a weird tightrope to walk like you're way ahead of where you're supposed to be as a kid, but yet you're not actually making the decisions. It, but, but that's why you don't feel safe when you get older. You, you, nothing feels safe to you. 
No. And you're constantly reading, waiting for the next shoe to drop, waiting for the next bad thing to happen. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm better now, but when I yes. was in my twenties, boy, if, if there was something coming up that it could have been a night out, it could have been going to a friend's house. It could have been anything. I had probably 15 different scenarios of these horrific things that were going to happen that night. It never dawned on me that I was just going to a friend's house, hang out and have a good time. Like yeah. that would have never crossed my mind. So you're like constantly like, Oh, what's coming at me now? You know, it's yeah. so crazy to live like that. And it's so bad on your physical health. Oh yeah. Cause you're, you're constantly pumping out cortisol. You're, you're constantly stressed. You're at a, your, your adrenal glands are taxed, you know, because you don't ever come down. You're here all the time. You know, you, you're here or you're sleeping. And that, that's, that's it. If your eyes are open, you're here. <laughs> I actually said that all the way up into my forties. And I had done a lot of like healing work and stuff like that. But even, you know, you go from one addiction or one, one dopamine hit to the next. And I became very much in like a couple, like probably 15 years ago, a very big workaholic, like mm -hmm. where I was working all of the time. And it kept me busy. It kept me distracted. I was having a good time. I was like, I was getting everything done and I was feeling very productive. But every time I had more than two days off, I would get sick. And mm -hmm. I was like, why is that? And they said, because your body is just letting down. It's finally, you know, it's not running on adrenaline and adrenaline will keep you going for a long time. I, I can attest to that. Yes, <laughs> yes, it will. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I got my adrenal glands checked one time for an entire, they ran a blood panel for an entirely unrelated thing. And she comes back in and she's like, I don't know how you function. She goes, you have, your adrenal glands are shot. And I'm like, oh, okay. I'm like, all right. I don't know, you know, but you're right. Adrenaline will keep you going for a very long time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you just crash like daily. Being on speed, mm -hmm. you know, and it's such a, it's such a downer when you come down, like when you come down and you don't have that adrenaline anymore, it's, 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 it's almost more exhausting, you know, mm -hmm. it's like double exhausting. <laughs> the uh, people who, once they start that process, they sleep. Like, I think a lot of people think like they're like clinically depressed mm -hmm. because they're exhausted. Your body's just finally able to rest, yep. you know? And it's some people, I know for me, it was almost a year of, of that, of like where I was just tired all the time, napping, just exhausted, like, you know, and it was just because my poor little body had finally gone, oh, thank God, you know, she's finally resting. Mm -hmm. And it, it's, it's, people think that there's something wrong with it. And there's not, that's a pivotal point of the process is yes. resting. Yeah, absolutely. And I, re I remember that point, because I remember I was just exhausted. And it's like, my brain was going, but my body was like, no, Tammy, thank God, you finally slowing down. I mean, mm -hmm. it was, it was a good and exhausting, but yet it was, I knew there was a, I knew it was a good thing. You know, I knew right. people around me didn't, I don't think knew. Like I was just like, didn't know I lethargic and just exhaust, just pure, no energy. It was yeah. the long, it was a long while, but so tell me about, so I know when you hit that moment was when you moved out. Mm -hmm. Um, tell me about your healing journey. So you said you've done everything. So what are some things you could suggest to people that are kind of in that fight flight still mode and they're kind of really starting to, okay, you know, wanting to fix things? 
Um, breath work is incredibly important. Um, you, it, it seems so simple that you almost convince yourself it doesn't work, but it, the awareness of your breath, like just focusing on that is sometimes enough to pull you out of it. I just did it on my, uh, aunt's daughter when we went to something as simple as she, we went to a haunted house and she was like, anxiety was through the roof. And I said, I, I got her to do the breathing exercises. And she's like, well, that really works. I was like, yeah. Yeah, I know it really works. It just dropping into your body and, and, and feeling that and also becoming aware, like you have to start looking at your relationships and the people around you with a different lens. And that's really hard. Like I realized halfway through my journey that every woman I had surrounded myself with was a version of my mother, including people I had hired friends. I mean, it was, I was going, holy crap. I'm surrounded by her. Like she is everywhere. And that awareness is one of the first steps of it. And also, um, when you have panic attacks, cause everybody who grew up in that kind of home, um, honestly, I believe everyone who grew up in that kind of home has PTSD, oh, but that's a whole, oh, that's a whole absolutely. conversation. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I speak very, I mean, PTSD, it, it needs to be recognized as a real thing. And that could be another conversation for another day, but um, you you have to start realizing that just because you're feeling something doesn't mean it's real. You right. know what I mean? Like you get that that feeling of the fight or flight. You have to you have to drop back in your body. I mean, I would have attacks. Like I'd be in the red zone like that, and I'd have to talk myself. And now I now it doesn't happen hardly at all. Like I recognize the trigger and eliminate it before I even go into the red zone. But there were I mean, I was reliving things, you know, if you would have reached past my face at one point in time, I would have dodged out of the way. And just because you were near me, you know what I mean? And so it, it's becoming aware of those things. And it's hard for a lot of people because then you start realizing like how much you've endured, you know, and it's, it, but that is the self-awareness is the, the first thing. And then uh, building your self-worth because like you, you were a workaholic. You said that's because you had to prove yourself mm-hmm. to who? but you did, you mm-hmm. felt it. You had to prove yourself. You felt you had to prove yourself on some level and for people to love you, to be lovable. And that the self-worth is the secret sauce, in my opinion. Um, I read, I read where you put that and I like that because yeah. that's so true. It's, it is. I mean, you literally, and that's why I focus a lot on children too, because you can build that up. I mean, you can worry. It takes a long time. So the earlier you start, the better. Oh, of course. Yeah. Rather than starting at, you know, 25, 26. I mean, I have people that come and talk to me that are starting at 50 and 60 that are, are just felt bad about themselves and unworthy. They're in for 60 years. I know. Just, I know. You know, mm-hmm. and, it, and it is, it's awareness, I think is the number one. It, it, everything stems around awareness and mm-hmm. it's awareness of how you're thinking your emotions, but it's also where you're feeling it in your body. Yes. That's a big one. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, like I'll, if, I'll say sometimes like, well, when I stress, it's like, I can tell exactly what stress is and why, because like, sometimes it's in my back, sometimes it's in my gut, sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, it just, it, it's different. And you, you know, when, when you're talking about breath work, it's breathing through that area, you know, breathing mm-hmm. it right into your gut, that good energy. And yes, I mean, energy is huge <laughs> and letting it pass and allowing yourself to feel, because I, I mean, I'm sure you have a similar story. I wasn't allowed to have any emotions. Oh, no. as a kid like they, they didn't matter 
you know, on a good day, I was told I'll give you something to cry about if you will, if you keep crying. And that was a good day. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, so emotions were not allowed, so, but, and to allow yourself to feel them, you know, and we, I think as a society kind of demonize, um, feeling anger and feeling rage and stuff. And you're going to feel that towards your parents. You're going to feel that towards your lost childhood, which is really what you're angry about. Yeah. You didn't get to be a kid. You didn't get to be a teenager. You were busy taking care of them, you know, awesome. and that you're allowed to feel angry about that, you know, go to a rage room and break some stuff. Like, you know, you're allowed to feel that but you can't live in it, but we are definitely a society that does not allow that right from the beginning. And I'm guilty mm -hmm. of it. You know, when your kids are crying in your public, you're like, stop it. Don't that's you're, you're okay. You're fine. And, you know, and then you catch yourself and you go, no, they're not okay. They're not a fine. It's okay for them to yell out or scream or cry. And we're, we're just, we're conditioned to do it. Yeah. I you still know? apologize if I start to cry. If I hear something that upsets me and I'll start crying, you know, I'll, I'll apologize. It's like instinct. <laughs> it is. Yeah, it is. And it's, yeah. And, and it wasn't even just the bad emotions. Like if you were too happy, it's what are you so happy about? You know, stop it. What do you mm -hmm. mean, stop it? <laughs> yeah. I think, I think, I don't know. Do you remember the first time you actually felt like, oh my God, I'm, I can, it's okay to feel. Cause I remember I went to a therapist and that was their very first question. And how, how does that make you feel? And I was like, nothing. I don't yeah. like, what does that even mean? Like, really? I was asked, um, how often do you laugh? And I had to sit and think about it. I was like, I don't think ever. I thought things were funny, but I didn't laugh. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't, it just wasn't a thing I expressed because you get yelled at or, you know, ridiculed or yeah. Like you said, why are you so happy? What, what are you, you know, why are you laughing? You sound, you sound stupid. Why are you laughing so loud? That wasn't a funny joke or whatever. Yeah. You're, you're just not allowed to. So I, yeah, it, I had to like, I don't know if you did, but I had to like teach myself to laugh. Oh yeah. Oh, oh absolutely. Like, allow it. Like, Hey, you think that's funny? normal people laugh you know, like you have to go <laughs> um i'm actually in this new group of people and it's called um the serenity circle you should check it out it's all healers it's really it really cute but um they were talking about bringing in laugh yoga yeah and it's that's how yeah mm -hmm. it's like you know because your brain i mean your brain is a miraculous thing especially for saving you uh, honestly i mean i feel like if brains weren't constructed the way they were, people would not survive the things they survive. You know, you've taken how many millions of little bites of information and you weed out how many other millions and just, you know, but it, to me, the things like you can't laugh, your brain doesn't know if a laugh is fake or real. So when you laugh, whether it's forced or it's real, by default, it's going to put you in a better mood. You're going to raise mm -hmm. all those things that you raise when you're honestly laughing. Um I never really look to see if the same thing is about if the same is about sadness because I don't really want to know. <laughs> honestly. Well, I know fear and excitement are the exact same areas of the brain. So like you can actually reframe uh, how you look at fear is I'm excited as opposed to I'm afraid. Yeah, the, that I know. But I don't think sadness works that way, to be honest with you. No, I don't, I don't think so either. And which is good. There you go. There's the brain again trying to help yeah. you out. But um, no, I was going to bring that up when you were talking about the anxiety attacks, because it is if you can just start to feel that and you just think, look, OK, this is the same feeling I feel when I'm on a roller coaster. This is the same mm -hmm. thing I feel when I'm, 
you know, doing something fun and exciting, it's, you could, you have to reframe it and then you can get yourself out of that. That's a huge, huge help. Yes. It, oh, it, tremendously. Yeah. And, and it, you were talking about, uh, you know, your brain protecting you. How I can't tell you how many people I've, I've tried to convince or and hopefully did convince that you're you have to stop looking at it self-sabotage because your brain's protecting you. Right. You're not trying to have like I, I've, I've had many people, you know, professionally and, you know, friends and relatives and stuff go, I feel like I'm always sabotaging my life. You're not, your brain really thinks it's protecting you. You know, you're not, you're not trying to screw up everything. You know, it's, 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 it's coping mechanism. It's going, wait a minute, that's unfamiliar. Unfamiliar equals not good usually in our head. And especially coming from the homes we came from. So you're, it's not self-sabotage. And I think if we reframe that, it's, 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 I think paramount to the healing journey because you, you don't look at yourself because that just perpetuates the unworthiness and, and the lack of, of self-love and all that stuff when you think you're constantly screwing your life up, you know, as opposed to, no, my brain is protecting me and I have to let it know I'm safe, I'm okay. You know? Right, exactly. And that's why I think like the inner child work and everything is so good because you're going all the way down. You're going all the way back, peeling back all those layers and getting to... the the root of why you feel the way you are. And to me, it's like I was saying about positive affirmations. They're absolutely amazing. They are. But but they work only as much as they can because when something happens and it comes at you unexpectedly, you snap right back into that subconscious thinking and acting and reacting of the subconscious, which is the beat down part. So it's right. like, you got to get back to, you have to truly, truly believe that you are worthy. And that's where I think the work needs to come in. Like so Absolutely. much. Oh, sure. Like you said, affirmations or like something as simple as I could teach you how to set boundaries, but if you don't think you're worthy of setting them, then you're not going to do it. That's why it, that's the, that's the first is you have to feel worthy because I, I honestly think the rest of it falls into place as you start to feel worthy. Like you start to go, Hey, wait a minute you're treating me a certain way. That's not okay with me. You're talking to me a certain way. That's not okay with me. Um, you know, my, my, the hair stands up on the back of my neck when I'm around you, that's not okay. But because you feel worthy to say that and to feel that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's where it really begins. So what would be a word of advice to people listening that are not at that point? Now I can tell before I even ask that question, that is, I'll just kind of put a caveat in here. That is why I think like what you're doing and everything with the coaching and what I do with the coaching is so important because it's just an accountability partner. It's someone that's going to help you set those boundaries and, and, and keep reinforcing the fact that, you know, even though you, even though I say, I love me, I love me, I love me, you need someone else to say, yes, you're lovable. Yes, you should love you and, and really keep breathing that into you. Um, I think it's important. That's why groups are so important. And that's why, you know, that's why programs that are group programs work because it's, it's a camaraderie. It's a bunch of people building you up because until you feel worthy, you can't, it's very hard to, take the action to do things of a worthy feeling person, if that makes sense. No, a hundred percent. And it's very accurate. Yeah. That is a hundred percent accurate. It, you, you, there's two things I would say to someone that's not there yet. Believe it or not, you will give yourself the unconditional love when you're ready. And it's all inside. You don't need anybody else. You really don't. Uh, You will find people like you and me helpful 
along the way? Absolutely. But ultimately, all of it is inside. All of that love and acceptance and all the wonderful things that you missed out on as a child, they're inside of you. If you just if you just let them come out, that that is it's in there. And the, the healing is not there's not an end point. And I think a lot of people, I find that people fall into two categories that are afraid to start the process is one. They're so afraid to let go of their pain because their pain has become such a part of their identity. And two is that they think that um, once they're on the healing process, like there's an end goal and then it's poof, all gone. And you, you actually not only can, but you have to hold both, you know, it, it's it, you're, you can hold your pain and not live in your pain, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Uh, but it's still always a part of you. It framed who you are. You wouldn't be Tammy if you didn't go through what you went through. Oh, no, you absolutely know? not. Absolutely. And you just, you know, the biggest thing is, like you said, is the self-worth and the just knowing that it's inside of you. I mean, that's that's my biggest message to people as well. I mean, you voiced exactly like, <laughs> you know, it's that you have it all. And yes. part of the problem is, you know, it's the extern external world that changed what you think about the world. So why are we keep looking to the external world to fix it? You know, and change what you think about yourself, right? The external world. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Not going to, you have to be able to reach deep, 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 deep in and, and believe in yourself. Have you ever done mirror work or do any with your, it, it feels so silly at the beginning, but it actually work. I mean, you feel ridiculous. You're like in front of the mirror going, this is stupid. Mm -hmm. And you start going, hey, you're great, you know, <laughs> and, and it starts feeling natural. But yeah, you feel I think a lot of people are resistant to it because it feels silly at the beginning, but it's such a, a, a good tool. It really is. It's like the first time you do um, inner child work and they tell you to put a picture of yourself as a baby on them and every day talk to it and, and you know, apologize and make make happy with it and write letters to it. And you're just like, what am I doing? But then after a while, you're just like, you know right and like mm -hmm. crazy and, and playing with it and you know it's and still that's your inner voice I mean that's your inner child but you're still you know come on Tammy like you, you you're literally 55 years old and you're like stop it yeah oh yeah well your subconscious you we don't have a conscious brain until we're seven so right. all of that think about how much you've endured you know especially growing up in the homes we grew up in before seven mm-hmm and those formed all of your subconscious thoughts. And now you plop that into an adult body and you go here, go live your life. And you're like, oh, okay. I'm dealing with a, a seven-year-old who got completely beaten down in my head and fantastic. And I'm supposed to be making decisions on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. And it is, but I mean, the big message is that there's hope for everybody. Yes. Absolutely. a hope for everybody. Oh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> it's, yeah. So tell us more about how I'm going to put everything in the show notes, but what is the easiest, quickest way to reach out to you or what do you have to offer? Um, I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. I'm on um, TikTok. Um, I was repointing my website because I didn't like the service I was with. So I'm, I'm figuring, um, finishing that, but I also have a website. Um, the easiest way to get in touch with me right now, I would say would probably be DM me on Instagram. Um, I offer one-on-one -on -one coaching and I'm looking to start a group program by the end of the year. So yeah, that is okay. what I, cause I do believe that you, there is camaraderie in the group program, but oh, I do one-on-one -on -one primarily. Um, okay. so right now, yes. And your final words of wisdom for all of our listeners. Oh, 
Ooh, unprepared. Ooh. Uh, <laughs> On the spot. Here we go. Um, all right. Um, it's worth it. You know, and you're worth it. One. Yeah. That's great. It's worth That's it. Mm-hmm. It sucks. The healing journey sucks. I'm not going to lie to you, <laughs> but, but it is so worth it. And you're so worth it. And, and the person on the other side is, is who you're supposed to be. Very well said. Thank well, you. thank you so much for coming on. We'll probably have you back later because I know you and I talked for two hours the other night and we had, Oh God. Yeah. We could talk about. Yes. Yeah. So, we didn't even tap into forgiveness. We didn't tap into CPSD. Oh, we no, got all kinds of stuff. No, we did not. <laughs> we did not. But um, yeah. thank you so much for coming. Appreciate thank you for it. having me. It was my pleasure. You're very welcome. And for everybody out there listening, again, here is one more situation where she turned her trials into triumph and her sadness into smiles. And we love to see it. So thank you very much for coming. Thank you. Bye. Thanks so much for joining me today on the Adult Child of Dysfunction podcast. If this episode resonated with you or you think someone else could benefit from what you heard, why not share it with someone you care about? Let's heal from our past and take back control of our lives together. If you're interested in learning more, head on over to www.tammyvincent.com for a free chapter of my book, Surviving Alcoholic Parents. While you're there, be sure to catch my invigorating seminar, Awakening Your Authentic Self. Together, we will rewrite our stories and turn trials into triumphant smiles. Until next time, keep embracing your strength, keep being you, and know that you are more than enough. You are way more than enough right here, right now.